Good morning, Redemption Church. It's good to be with you this morning. Good to worship with you. Good to re- be reminded and worship through uh, the gospel and remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Thank you for the worship team for leading us in that this morning. Uh, a couple announcements. If you want to double down on church today, um, we have a, a second service tonight at 6 p.m. where we're... Um, Coming back here, we're going we're gonna to worship. India and Mel are going to lead us in a couple more songs, and a couple guys have prepared some messages that are just trying to get some reps in up here. So uh, if you want to come back for that and support them and, and sit under a little bit more preaching, we would love to have you there. We'd love for you to come and encourage those, those guys in the, in the worship team as well. Uh, the only other announcement that we have is next week, or no, July 21st and 23rd is uh, Christmas in July. So uh, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service here, which means um, it's going to be have the same feel and taste as a, as December twenty fourth. It's going to be candlelight. We're gonna we're gonna have a salve or a uh, a Christmas message, and uh, the only difference is is going to be uh, some. It's in the summer, so we're gonna kind of wear like summery stuff, like Hawaiian shirts and stuff. So you get bonus points if you come dressed up like that. But other than that. That's the only thing we got going on here. So um, one other thing that I, 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 I'm hesitant to mes- mention, but it's a, it's a celebration. And no, Jocelyn has not uh, gone into labor yet. We didn't, we didn't have the baby yet. So you keep her in prayer, though, because her due date's on the 19th, and we'll be expecting baby number eight here very shortly. But I have another celebration uh, in mind, and it, it kind of goes back about a year and a half, two years ago, when the elders were, they were coming up with an idea of like, okay, how can we pour into leadership here at Redemption Church? We want leaders to continue to grow at Redemption Church. And uh, one thing that they came up with was like, maybe we can facilitate paying a portion of higher education if, uh, if one of our pastors choose to, chooses to do that. And uh, I'm happy to say that I completed my master's of theology and I'm done and it's good. And, uh, you know... I'm, I'm a pretty reserved guy in terms of like things in my life. Like I don't, I don't, not making reels and posting them out and like you guys really don't know much. Um, but it's, it's important. It's important for me to share that because I mean, it's, it's a celebration for the church. You're, 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 if you're here and, you're, and you consider this your home church, you have leaders that um, value pouring into, their, into the leaders here at the church. And it's, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a really good thing for us to grow because it, it helps facilitate the, the entire church. So um, thank you, because uh, if you give, then a little portion of that went towards my education and uh, I, we couldn't have done it without you. So just wanted to celebrate that with you guys this morning. So amen. And since you paid for it, Fred said I have to preach a message now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm happy to do it. I do get to bring the word today. We're finishing up 1 John. We're getting to the end here. Uh, It's a great letter that that we've been going through. Um, The legal term, the burden of proof, you know, refers to the responsibility of, of a party to present sufficient evidence to support their claims or their allegations. Have you ever thought about who has the responsibility of the burden of proof for the person of Jesus Christ? Does God the Father 
have that responsibility? Is it Jesus himself? Is it the church? Is it more, is it more circumstantial? Is it more situational? Is it, it was God and it was Jesus and now it's the church? How about I ask it this way? Does, does the creator of the universe, does he have to or does he have the responsibility? Um, now, real quickly, as we think about that question, we might be quick to answer, but as I wrestled with that question and, and kind of fed it through a theological framework, where I land is I'm not comfortable saying that the creator of the universe has, has to do anything that I think in my own mind. So I don't think he has to do anything. But I do feel that scripture shows evidence of evidence for who he is, for who Jesus is. And it comes out of his grace. It comes out of um, him wanting to glorify himself and what he has done. It comes out of his, his mercy and his kindness for his lost children. So God does provide us with original evidence of who he is and who Christ is. And, and I think additionally, as followers, as Peter would say, we have, to, we have to make a case for that. You know, if we're a follower of Christ, then we, we, we got to know the evidence. And that's what we're going to get into today. The apostle John, he's writing this letter. He's going to set forth some evidence for us. So if, if you brought a Bible, please turn to 1 John chapter 5. 6 through 13 is where we're going to camp today. The title's message, is, or the, the message, message's title is going to be The Burden of Proof. Let's read it together. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God uh, has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is living and active and that it pierces us. And we pray that it pierces us this morning, that it corrects us, and that it convicts our hearts. It motivates us to, to seek you and to live for you. So by your Holy Spirit, I pray that it would continue to testify in us today and encourage us and empower us. In Jesus' name, amen. Very much the same way as today, John's combating some, some false teachers, some heresies about the personhood of Christ and I think we feel this today, you know. <clears throat> the world wants to take Jesus and they want to mold him and tailor Jesus into their own personal wants and desires and, and fit him into a box that, that the world can live in so they can still accept him but not accept him type of mentality. And, and we feel this today. And uh, we're gonna sit through a, a 2,000-year-old testimony of the Apostle John. So ladies and gentlemen, 
of the jury, we're going to have to deliberate here in a little bit. So let me draw your attention to exhibit A this morning, the corroborating evidence. Verse 6, I'll read it again. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. Our first point this morning, the corroborating evidence, the Spirit, the water, and the blood are all in agreement of who Jesus is. You see, when multiple sources of evidence align and support one another, it strengthens the overall case that's being presented. It, it really establishes a narrative of truth to help the jury piece together the story and come to an informed decision or come to a right judgment. Corroborating evidence, that, that's the point of it. That's why John is laying it out here. It also proves that, hey, this is not just my own idea but there's multiple facets of different information that come together and point to the same thing. And this is important. John knows what he's doing here. It's important for the Jew because this, this idea of, of multiple witnesses or multiple testimonies is right in the Mosaic law. It's in Deuteronomy 19.15, which says, one witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against the person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see, this was right in their culture. This is right in their, in their system, in their values. And it's, it was right, it's in our system. You know, the more evidence you have, the, the stronger case you have. It was in the Roman law as well. Corroborating evidence, corroborating testimony is evidential of truth more times than not. This is why he gives us three. Now, here's, here's the, 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 bad, the bad thing about not, not following or not listening to or adhering to corroborating evidence. It can lead to disaster. And judgment, when, when, when things aren't aligning, you know, you should not adjudicate on it. You should not judge on whatever case is being brought forth. And I think we, have, we probably have examples of that in our own legal system when people are wrongfully accused but I think there's a great example of that in Mark 14, 55 through 61. Jesus is on trial right now. Jesus is on trial by the chief priest, the Sanhedrin, the people who know the Mosaic law. And let's see what happens when the followers of the law don't follow the law at all. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. There's one. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, we have heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimonies did not agree even on this. There's two. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? He, but he kept silent and did not answer. You know, through, 
through the Old Testament, we, we know that's a fulfillment of pro- a prophecy there that Jesus would stand silent among his accusers. But even more so, like look at, look at the, the fabric of the law system here. Jesus stood quiet because the accusations that were coming at him were unfounded. Nothing, none of the testimony lined up. Why? The only reason that the, the high priest and the, the chief priest wanted to uh, get Jesus to talk was to hang himself, to say something, to, to, to be able to accuse him then and then ten, take him and, and hang him or get him, hang him on the cross and kill him. That's, that was the point for them. Or, hey, Jesus, you need to answer your accusers. No, I don't. None of this is even lying up and you're not even following the law that you're supposed to follow. The facts must be established by the testimony of two to three people. And Jesus understands this. He stood silent. But he even understands it in another way. We're gonna, we're gonna be in the Gospel of John chapter five too a little bit this morning. So you can keep a thumb there if, if you'd like. But we're gonna go to verse 31 in chapter five. I'm just gonna read the, this very first part. Jesus, again, is talking to religious leaders he says this, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus says this, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. The son of God. Jesus knows that humanity, what it takes for humanity to believe truth is some corroborating evidence that points to the claim. You know, I can go out I can say, I can get a YouTube channel, I can start making some reels, I can, I can say, hey, I'm the new Messiah, I've done X, Y, and Z, you guys should follow me. Well, you, like, well do we have any evidence of X, Y, and Z? Like, what, what are you talking about? Oh, well, I don't have any, you should just follow me. My testimony about myself does not make whatever I say true. It's just not how the world works. So there's great importance here. There's great importance, you know, providing corroborating evidence to prove something, to prove a claim. Let's, let's consider some of the evidence that John, John gives here. Now, let's remember the Spirit testifies alongside this evidence of the water and the blood, and, and the three agree with one another. So the water... The water is most commonly known in, in reference to Jesus' baptism. It's here where, where Jesus' ministry starts. It's John the Baptist. He was, he was uh, a fulfillment of prophecy that he would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then what happens? He looks in the crowd and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist does that. Now we know that John the Baptist, by making that statement, has taken the entire Old Testament sacrificial system where they would have to to sacrifice animals for the cleansing of sin and have placed it all on Jesus Christ. That had to have been outstanding to hear as, as a Jewish crowd. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not our sacrificial system at all. Like, we kill animals. But here's John the Baptist, the one who's making the way for Jesus, saying, this man 
is the Lamb of God. That's pretty, that's a pretty, pretty big uh, claim that John is making here. Now, what else happens at this? Uh, Jesus gets baptized. The Spirit does what? Comes down like a dove, testifies Jesus. The heavens open. God speaks from heaven. Behold, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We have an agreement of, of things happening here that points to this claim that John is making. The forerunner John, his ministry, he says himself, you know, my job's pretty much done. Like this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. I need to diminish and, and everybody that was following me, there's, there is one who is better than me that is here now that I'm unworthy to untie his shoe strap. Follow him, follow Jesus. This is my whole ministry, John says, follow Jesus now, don't follow me. He is better than me. This is the, the pinnacle of John's ministry and it's the beginning of Jesus's ministry here on earth. John wants us the Apostle John, the writer of the letter, wants us to recognize that this was a very important moment in history. Now, the blood. The blood is a reference to the crucifixion and the death. It's a fulfillment of the claim that John had made at the river. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, just mere human evidence, what do we have here? Now, I think the Spirit had, had worked in this thief on the cross. But what does the thief on the cross say? He recognizes that he himself, he's like, I'm hanging up here. I did some wrong things and I deserve to die. But what does he say about Jesus? This man, he doesn't deserve this. He's righteous. He doesn't deserve any of this. So we have human testimony that I can only explain is the, is the spirit working in that thief at the moment, making the claim that this man, Jesus, he's not just your average, typical man, but he was a righteous man and he's dying for a reason, not his own. That's substantial, that's, that's big there. Now you combine that with, with the evidence of, of the baptism and you, you realize like this man is not just man, but he's also God. He's 100% fully man, but he's also fully God. And he is the only one who could, who could be a, per, a perfect sacrifice to pay for the penalty of sin once and for all, as Hebrews 10.10 says. The Spirit testifies even again as Jesus yields his spirit and, and cries out, it is finished, and all these miraculous things happen in another unlikely source there's glorification. The centurion, he looks up and glorifies God, the scripture says, glorifies God. This really must be the son of God or this man must really be righteous. The spirit is testifying to the events that this, these two events are monumental in human history. We have those two events. We have corroborating evidence. We have corroborating testimony that confirm the person of Jesus Christ. But John doesn't leave it there. He basically says, if you can believe human testimony, if you can, if you can believe that Jesus did these events, like he, he was here on earth and, 
And people make these claims, even even more so, you should believe God's testimony because God's testimony is greater than human testimony. So John calls an expert witness here. Verse nine, if we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The expert testimony, this is your next point. The expert testimony, God's testimony is greater. The court of law, even in our system, you bring in an expert, why? Increases credibility. You have an expert that, that provides credibility to other testimonies based on their own testimony. They provide a professional opinion on significance or reliability or interpret, interpretation of, of the evidence. And it helps the court or it helps the jury make an informed assessment. So John points to a higher testimony here, a greater testimony, God's testimony. If we can believe testimony of mere man, how much more should we believe the testimony of God? And by stating this, John's highlighting a divine authority of truthfulness of of God's testimony about Jesus, and it underscores the, the importance of recognizing and placing trust in God's revelation and message about his son. So what is God's testimony? You know, he, he testified at, at those events. I mean, he testified at the, the transfiguration with an audible voice. He testifies throughout history. God's testimony has been unraveling for thousands of years. He has orchestrated, you know, these mere human events. We must recognize that God is sovereign behind them all that he has orchestrated this entire narrative and it, can, it, it, it testifies to who? Everything that God has done testifies to his son. And now God, by his grace and his kindness, Jesus ascended, the spirit's indwelling, spirit testifies to us as believers and continues to testify to us. Let's hop back into John 5 here. 31, uh, we've already read, if, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. This is where Jesus is gonna continue and Jesus really is gonna do the heavy lifting here for me. There is another who testifies about me and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved human testimony, this corroborating evidence is for who? Is it for Jesus? It's for us. It's so that we can be saved. We can believe. Jesus state, or um, I'm sorry here, where are we at? John. John was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for him for a while in his light. And they were, and then he got beheaded. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form. Jesus, remember Jesus' audience here, the religious leaders. I mean, they're not accepting this very well. You don't have his word residing in you. 
because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from God? God's testimony is greater. And who out of all of the nations of the earth should recognize God's testimony about his own son? They're standing questioning Jesus right now. And they cannot connect the dots that Jesus is fulfillment of the entire testimony that God has revealed to these people. And instead of accepting them, they'd rather accept human testimony with one another. Instead of accepting God's testimony about his son, they reject him. They, re they reject Jesus. John the Baptist points to Jesus. Here's some human testimony. But Jesus says, I don't need, I don't need human testimony because he has the testimony of the Father. The Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, the entirety of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. That's God's testimony. And the testimony that, that God will, 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 will do through Jesus here is everything that in Jesus' ministry. I mean, all of the miraculous healings, the teachings, everything in the Gospels points and proves that the Father has sent the Son, even his death, burial, and resurrection. So the question to deliberate, deliberate, do you believe it or not? Do you believe it or not? Verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. Corroborating evidence, expert testimony. And now we move into this eternal wrestling match. Do I believe it or don't I believe it? For the one who believes, this is who John's really, really writing to here, the Spirit of God will testify to the truth because the Spirit is truth. And the Spirit will always live in the believer and testify to the truth. You know, the crazy reality about that, I mean, we, it's almost hard, we, we can't wrap our mind around that. But here's the truth about the Spirit. Do you realize He is the only original witness that still remains today among any of us? And he lives inside the believer. The Spirit's truth because he was there. He was there at the beginning. He was there at Jesus' ministry. He was there at the resurrection. He was there. And now he lives in you. This is why scripture says that the Spirit will convict 
will we'll testify, will comfort, remind, give knowledge because he is the one that was there. He knows the truth because the spirit is the truth. Apostles are gone. We have their writings. Church father's dead. Jesus ascended. The spirit indwelling is for the believer. And he's the only original witness that we have. That's good news for us. For the one who does not believe, you not only disregard the agreement like the religious leaders did about Jesus, but you essentially make God a liar. You, you, you refuse expert testimony. You say, eh, I don't really believe that. Which makes God of the universe a liar. That's not a good place to be in. Not a good place to be in at all. And this is where the tables kind of turn here. You know, the whole time I, I keep saying, you know, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, yes, you need to have that that wrestling match of belief within you. But here, here's the thing. Your decision doesn't change who Jesus is. Whatever you believe, I just don't feel like Jesus would want me to live my life that way, so I'm just not gonna do it. Jesus is still Messiah. He doesn't need human testimony. He does not need you to believe in him to make his case that he's the Messiah. At all. Here's the verdict that he gives. If you're not the jury, then in some way you're on trial. And here's the verdict that he lays out. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son does not have life the verdict, you can fill out the point, it's nearly verbatim to the verse. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son does not have life. God does not need your testimony for Jesus as the Messiah for that case to be true. It's true because he testified through history through the history of humanity, God has been testifying that Jesus would come and that he is the son. And, and you want eternal life? You, you, wanna, you, wanna, you want to have eternity with Jesus? Well, it's pretty, it's pretty clear here. You must recognize God's testimony as true and that he, through his son, can give you eternal life and reconcile you back to himself. And if you don't have the son, as we've found out many times through this letter, John is like the Bob Ross of black and white colors here. Like there is no gray. He's like just perfect black or white. And I appreciate that about John. So let me paint it the way that John does. If you sit here today you do not have Jesus as Messiah, you do not believe the testimony for whatever reason, you do not have life. You will not have eternal life. Because if you disregard the, the testimony, 
human testimony, the actual events that many people witnessed and recorded through the scriptures, and then the, entire, the, the scriptures of, in, in the entirety of them, how they point to Jesus and like how the numerous prophecies have been fulfilled in Jesus is just outstanding. If you refute all of that, you say, hey, God, you're a liar. I don't believe you that Jesus came and that you said that he would come and that I would have life through him. You're a liar. I don't believe it. Hebrews 10.31 is a verse for you. And it's, it's a scary one. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. If you make the expert witness a liar, and he is sovereign in control of everything, and he did send his son, and he will judge. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God when you are saying that he is a liar. Don't reject the testimony that he has put forth about his son. He's the creator of the world. He is testified. Do not reject him. I've, I've heard it put this way. Maybe... Maybe this illustration will be helpful. I heard it from, I think, J.D. Greer, but it's probably been around. You got two things in every person. You have a throne and you have a cross. You can occupy one of two of those spaces. You can either, and I th until we come to Jesus, we occupy the throne. We sit on the throne. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'm in control of my own life. Nobody's gonna tell me what to do. I'm, I'm just gonna live the way that I wanna live. And you, the hard part about this all is on the outside, from what you guys would see in, in that situation, I may be a moral human being. I may look good, I may look cleaned up, I may give to charities, I may even come to church. But you continue to sit on that throne and you refuse to come off of that throne and Jesus remains on the cross and you do not take advantage of the salvation that he has given you. You do not accept God's testimony and he stays hanging on that cross and you die in your sins and eternal life is not found. Or you, by decision and by the working of the spirit, dethrone yourself from the throne of your life. You believe the testimony that God has given about his son and Jesus comes onto the throne of your life and he has, he has paid for your sins and now your life is no longer your own, but you have an authority over your life. And by, by a life of obedience, you take that cross, you carry it. You die to yourself every single day following Jesus Christ, being obedient to him, which place do you occupy? Which, as you look at your life, which place do you occupy? It starts with a decision. It really does. It starts with a decision to say, you know what? I believe God's testimony is true about the son. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need him and I would like eternal salvation. But it's fleshed out. 
It's fleshed out, and the Bible speaks more clearly about the fleshing out of what, what obedience looks like and what salvation looks like in the life of the believer than a, a, a minimalistic sinner's prayer. Our lifetime fleshes out, a lifetime of perseverance fleshes out that we are saved. We are, and I truly believe that we are saved in an instant. When you make that decision, you're saved. Nobody can take you out of, out, of, out of the hands of God. Nobody can do it. But your life will testify whether or not you actually ever made that decision in the first place. Think about that. You can say the sinner's prayer. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and, and, and ask for salvation and maintain full kingship and remain on the throne of your life. Does that, does that look like you've actually made a decision to follow Christ? So we need to be aware that you can say some words, but those words didn't change your heart at all. We have to be careful of that. But here's the, here, here's the reality of this letter. This isn't a fire, I mean, I'm taking some fire and brimstone preaching a little bit. But John writes for assurance here. He writes to the Christian. If you're here as a Christian, this is what he wants you to hear. I want you to remember Jesus' sacrifice and the eternal life that you have. Verse 11, or verse 13, I'm sorry. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's for you, Christian. The Holy Spirit, he was at the beginning. He was there throughout history. He was there when Jesus was on earth. And Jesus said, it's better if I go away because the one who will testify about me will live inside of you and assure you of the truth because the Spirit is truth. What does that mean for us? Lean into the spirit in times of weariness. He will comfort you. Marty preached about that. The assurance of our salvation. He will testify to you and remind you about the grace that, you, that has been shown to you through Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus. Know that if you are a believer, you have eternal life. Nobody can steal that from you. Amen. Our last point as we wrap up here. Motivation is born out of an understanding of assurance. Until you are assured of, of the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ, your spiritual walk will be crippled. Motivation is born out of an understanding of assurance. If you don't understand what Jesus, the magnitude of what Jesus has done for you and that your life is now hidden in his and that you should follow him, if you don't understand that assurance, you will never risk anything for the gospel message. You won't. 
there's nothing to gain. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't recognize what you have gained from Jesus Christ. And that now you can, as we sung, I count everything as loss. Like you won't count anything as loss because you don't understand the assurance of your eternal salvation that you have. You will not risk for the gospel. You will not risk your life. You will not go and be a missionary. You will not go to your neighbors and, and talk to them about Jesus Christ. You will not risk any time. You will not risk any energy. You will not risk any finances. You will not risk anything until you recognize your assurance that you have in Jesus Christ. Dwell on that for a little bit. Sit on that. Be uncomfortable in that for a minute. Like, do I have motivation in my life from the assurance that Christ gives me? Does anybody see anything in my life that says I am a follower of Jesus Christ? Because our lives testify to a decision that we made about God's testimony about his son. Does your life do that? Fred asked a question last week. He talked about the three dimensions of our faith, head, heart, and hands. You know, he said our head, we got, we got to grow in knowledge. We got to be in the word. We got to read theology books. We got to, we got to just, just take in as much as we can. We got to have a heart. We got to have a heart that is aligned with God's will, God's heart. We got to seek the things of God, love the things that God loves, hate the things that God hates. And we got to have hands, meaning we got to put this faith that we have into action. We got to go do something with this, our hands. And he left with a question. He left with a question. And I think if I, I think if I would pull the crowd here this morning, I'm not sure how many people would remember the question. And the question was this, what's your plan for growth as a follower? What are you gonna do? This week, what are you gonna do? Just walk out the doors and listen to another mediocre message and go on with life, sitting on your throne? Are you really gonna contemplate your assurance and be like, wow, the magnitude of grace that has been shown to me as a sinner. My life is not my own. What, this, what am I doing that could glorify God better? How can I live my life better that I could point others to Jesus Christ? Because if we haven't thought about that last week, we have a lack of motivation. And where's a lack of motivation come from? A lack of understanding and knowing that we have assurance. So this week, try to start understanding, steepen the assurance of salvation. Try to understand what is the length, the width, the height and depth of God's love. And know Christ's love which surpasses knowledge. It's only, it's only then when you can start to understand and be filled with the fullness of God and be motivated to surrender and live for him. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word. We thank you that nobody can steal or take away 
the salvation that the perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God, has secured for us. I pray as we contemplate your word this morning that motivation would pour out of us, that we would recognize the magnitude of your testimony over thousands of years and how it all points to your son, Jesus Christ. And that we benefit from him. We benefit. We are, the, we are victorious because of your testimony to your son. Thank you for that salvation, Lord, this morning. We pray that the spirit would just speak to our hearts as we go into our, our, our next worship set. That the spirit of truth would testify to our minds and to our hearts. It would encourage us as the, as the original witness to all of these things. Father, we glorify you. We thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.